Our eyes must be upon Jesus Christ. Now, in 1 Kings chapter 19, I want you to read these things with me. We're going to look at several scriptures to begin with tonight. 1 Kings 19, and I want you to begin with me in verse 19. Elijah is the great prophet of God. There are many types between Elijah and Elisha. One of the great types that Elijah and Elisha represent is Jesus Christ and his church. All right? That's one of the great types that is represented here. Elijah being a representation of Jesus Christ. Elisha being a representation of the church. How Elisha received the spirit of Elijah. How Elisha went on in the ministry and power of Elijah. How Elijah ascended up into heaven. How Jesus ascended up into heaven. And how Elisha received from that the portion of God's spirit upon his life. So many wonderful types. In verse 19... Speaking of Elijah, he departed thence and found Elisha, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he with the twelfth. And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned back from him, and took a yoke of oxen, and slew them, and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen, and gave unto the people, and they did eat. Then he arose, and went after Elijah, and ministered unto him. I want to draw a few facts out from this verse. Now just notice this. Elisha is a farmer. He is plowing with oxen. All right? That's what he is. People probably wouldn't consider Elisha any more than that. He's a farmer. He might be a good man, might be an honest man, might be a godly man, might be very faithful at the synagogue. But if anybody asked, who is Elisha? He's a farmer. But I do believe if you asked Elisha who he was, he'd have never told you that he was a farmer. Inside of his spirit was something far more than farming that was possessing him. I believe Elisha had the attitude that he never intended to live the rest of his life looking at the backside of oxen. There was something more that was calling him. Something more. I can see Elisha while he's plowing those fields, praying the whole time for God to come and use his life. Do something with me. And I don't believe there's any coincidence that when Elijah came through and dropped his mantle on Elisha, that Elisha knew exactly what that meant. The answer to my prayer, God has answered my prayer. Now, everybody else probably could have said to Elisha, you're a fool. I mean, what do you think? You're, you're, you're leaving this successful farm. I mean, obviously it was rather large to be, to be plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. He obviously had a crew of people because he didn't plow with all 12 yoke of oxen himself. He was using one yoke of oxen. These, it is believed, belonged to him. And he shared these fields with other farmers who were doing their work. And so this was the livelihood and the business. He was successful at it. It was expensive in that day to have. I mean, this is like having several John Deere tractors, you know, and having all of these things. And he's getting after it. And when this comes upon him, he knows it's the answer to his prayers. He doesn't need anybody to confirm it. He's going to leave everything he has. He knows that the life with God in ministry is not going to be easy. The Bible tells us numbers of times, guys, that we are not to faint. We are not to grow weary. We're to endure. We're to persevere. Why does the Bible tell us that? The Bible tells us that as believers. Because one of the real battles you and I as believers are going to fight is the battle to faint. The battle to grow weary. The battle to not persevere. The battle to not overcome. To want to give up. That's a very real battle every one of us fights. So what did Elisha do? He burned every temptation to go back to his former life. He took his yoke of oxen and he killed them. There's nothing to go back to. He took his plow and he burned it. He invited people over to have a feast with him. They ate it all. And there's nothing for Elisha to go back to. This life with God is everything to me now. Everything. I will live and die in it. 
It's become my life. And that's ministry. Alright, that's ministry. He was a believer before this. But this is ministry. His life will never be the same again. And I'm talking to ministers tonight. Now I believe every born again person is a minister. But maybe you don't know it yet. I pray tonight you will. But many of you know that there's a ministry in your life. And I'm talking to you. When you realize that God created you and saved you and filled you to be a minister, your whole life changed. But one of the things we have to do is, we have to cut off the former life. There can't be anything to go back to. It has to be all or nothing. It's everything. This has become my life. It's kind of like what DeSoto did when he came into this land. He told all of the men, burn the boats. And they burned all of the boats. And after they burned the boats... He said to all of the men, welcome to your new home. There was no temptation to get in the boats and go back. There were no more boats. They had to make the life work here. And so that's the same principle. This is our life. It's what we must do. So he's a farmer. He's plowing. He's a hard worker. He's very diligent. He's not in seminary. He's not a doctorate of theology. He is none of those things. We, we don't see that his parents were pastors and evangelists or anything like that. Don't know much about them. He's just really a farmer. Nothing else as far as anybody else is concerned. But Elijah is told by the Holy Ghost to go choose this man. There had to be communion with Elisha and God up to this point. There had to be. Now if we continue on, Elisha follows Elijah. He experiences many wonderful things that God does through Elijah's life. When we come into 2 Kings chapter 2, I want you to notice a changing of things that are happening. Elijah's leaving. Elisha will remain. And so here, here's what takes place. Now, before we get into this, just another bit of information. Just listen to me carefully. Do you know that most prophets... Had people who traveled servants with them. Most prophets had servants. Most of the servants of the prophets are not known. Now we know that, for example, Elisha also has a servant. His name is Gehazi. And Gehazi was not a very good servant. He betrays God and his master Elisha and he's cursed with leprosy. But a lot of times these prophets had servants. And the servants really didn't become much as far as the written record is concerned. But some prophets had servants who went on to be excellent. Moses had a servant. His name was Joshua. And when the people are in their sin around golden calves, Joshua's in the mountain with Moses and God. Joshua's becoming something. He's becoming something. And so when Moses is dead, God speaks to Joshua. Why does he speak to Joshua? Because all the time that the Israelites were playing around and living in unbelief, Joshua was becoming something. And so God speaks to Joshua and he says, be courageous. He's telling him to be something. He's not telling him to do something. He's telling him to be something. That is the secret of ministry. That's the secret of a man of God. He is something. He doesn't do something. He is something. That will be the key to your life before God. God makes us that. Well, Elisha's the servant of Elijah. He's one of those rare servants that we know about. Because he became something. And we see how he becomes something. In chapter 2, verse 5 of Second Kings. And the sons of the prophets that were at Jericho. Now the sons of the prophets. It is believed that Samuel started a school. And the school that Samuel started was a school where people who were hungry for God could come and learn. They would learn the law. They would learn the ways of God. They would learn things that God had done. And they were there in order that they might learn things about God and eventually become useful to the nation of Israel in the name of God. These were people set apart, all right? These were the sons of the prophets, all right? That, that's dignified, you know? That, that, there's dignity in that. And that's important for you to make note of. And the sons of the prophets that were at Jericho came to Elisha. And said to him, knowest thou that the Lord will take away your master from your head today? And he answered, yes, I know it. Hold ye your peace. And Elijah said to him, tarry, I pray thee here. For the Lord hath sent me to Jordan. And he said, as the Lord liveth and as your soul liveth, I will not leave you. And they too went on. 
And fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar off. And they too stood by Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters. And they were divided hither and thither. So that they too went over on dry ground. And it came to pass when they were gone over. That Elijah said unto Elisha. Ask what I shall do for you. Before I be taken away from you. And Elisha said I pray thee. Let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. And he said, thou hast asked a hard thing. Now this is a very important passage. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto you. Now listen to this. But if not, it shall not be so. Now think about that. There are some things that God wants to do. It's a good thing to ask for a double portion of the Spirit. Well, obviously, this was something that God would be delighted to do. Here's a hungry man, willing and desiring to receive a double portion of the Spirit. So, we would think, well, that's just going to happen. That's a no-brainer. I mean, here's a guy that wants it. Certainly, God wants to continue his testimony in Israel. Here's a man that will continue it. You want a double portion of my spirit? No brainer, Elisha. It's yours. But that wasn't the condition. The condition was this. If you see me when I'm taken up, you will receive. If you do not see me when I'm taken up, you will not receive. There was a condition on Elisha's part if he was to receive the anointing of that spirit. The anointing of that spirit. The Bible teaches us that God wants to fill us with the Holy Ghost. He wants to pour His Spirit out upon us. People that have an attitude, well, if God wants it to happen, it'll happen. It's just going to take place. After all, if God wants me to be anointed with the Holy Ghost, He's going to anoint me with the Holy Ghost. And that attitude has caused multitudes of people... To not receive the fullness of the Holy Ghost in their life. Because it has caused them to be negligent of hunger and faith and desire. To receive the Spirit of God upon their life. We have to receive. The Bible says we have to ask. Jesus said in John 7. That out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. And this he spake of the Holy Ghost. That they which believe on him should receive. It's something that should happen. But it doesn't necessarily happen if a person's not going to believe in faith and act and expect and wait and believe God to do this. So it's a very important passage of Scripture. And so the end of verse 10, but if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass as they still went on and talked that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. I think this is interesting because it took the chariot to separate them. I can just see Elisha holding on to Elijah. There's no way you're leaving earth without somebody prying my fingers off of you. I mean, this is the context of what we could see. He was not going to let this happen because he so desired a double portion of his spirit. So the chariot separated them. And, and divided them asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elijah, and Elisha saw it. And he cried, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. And he took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell upon him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over. Just a couple of things I want to bring to your attention. Very important. We're talking about ministers. Very important. We're talking about the effectiveness of a minister. The key to a minister's life. One thing that I shared with you tonight, the key to a minister's life is that he becomes something. It's not that he just does something. Practically anybody can preach, but is he a preacher? 
Many people can do the office of a pastor, but are they a pastor? Many people can go and evangelize, but are they an evangelist? All right, there's a difference between those who do and those who are. That's important. That's a key factor. Another important factor that we find from Elisha that separates him for an awesome work of God through his life is that when he received what he was believing for, and he refused anything to hinder him from receiving that. Nothing was going to distract him. Nothing was going to keep him from it. He was going to be so committed to it. They'd have to pry him off of Elijah for him to leave earth. That happens. And then Elisha stands up. He doesn't stand up in self-confidence. But he stands up in the confidence of God. And he does two things that I think are absolutely remarkable. The first thing he does is he takes his garment, right? He takes his own garment and he rips it in two pieces. That's significant. It's very significant. Because you see, up to this time in Elisha's life, he's not really thought of with a lot of respect. Basically, all he is is a farmer. And now he's gone from farming to being a servant. As a matter of fact, they will talk about Elisha in this context that, well, you know, maybe he's something. But all we know him as is somebody who poured water on Elijah's hands. Doesn't sound like much. He just took care of him, carried his books, made his bed in the morning, did all these things for Elijah. That's all he was. When Elijah took his coat and he ripped it in two, it was significant. Because what that meant in those days were coats represented a person's identity. It represented who they were. It represented what they were. And when Elisha took his garment, his own garment, and he ripped it in two, he made another milestone in his life. Elisha is constantly ascending. He's constantly moving upward, though to the eyes of man, it doesn't look like he's moving anywhere. It might even look like he's moving down. But in the heart and the mind of Elisha, he's moving up. He's moving on. And I don't need any man to confirm this to me. When he's plowing in his field with the oxen, Elisha comes, Elijah drops his mantle on him. He knows this is the answer to prayer. I'm moving up. I'm going further with God. I'm going into greater things. Open doors are happening for me. God's going to do mighty things through my life. That's the attitude of Elisha. He burns his oxen. He burns his plow. I'm never coming back to this again. Now, the eyes of man doesn't see that. They just see a man who's a farmer, has a successful business, can make some money, has income coming in. Now, he's nothing. He's just a servant of a prophet. He's a water boy. That's all he is. But that's all they could see. Elisha was seeing more. Oh, I'm becoming something more. I'm growing in this, maturing in this. I'm progressing in this. And then after Elijah's taken away, he takes his garment and he rips it in two. And the symbolism of that is, I am no longer a servant. I'm no longer a water boy. I'm no longer a farmer. And it's not enough for me to know it. Israel must know what God has made me now. And he rips that mantle. I am no longer the same. I'm somebody different. And that's what he meant by that. When he picked that mantle up, it wasn't because it was Elijah's mantle. It was the mantle of his call. This was the mantle that Elijah draped across Elisha's neck when he called him from the plows and the oxen. This was the call that Elisha was under. He was staying in his call. That's why Peter says that when we minister, we minister according to the measure of grace that we've been given. If God's given you a ministry, minister in that ministry. Don't try to occupy yourself with some other ministry. Stay in the call that is upon your life. That's where the authority is. That's where the anointing is. And men will try to distract you from that. You'll get burned. You'll burn out. You'll grow frustrated. You might blame God for things. Stay in the call that is upon your life. Extremely important. And so this is what we learned from Elijah. He, Elisha, he's certainly anointed of God. The river Jordan parts for him as he cries out to God. And we see what happens. Now, the prophets are a little bit skeptical. They think that God took Elijah up in this chariot and then God dumped him out in the top of a mountain somewhere or God dumped him out into the valley. That's that's these are godly men. This is what they think of what God has done to him. They beg Elisha, let us go look for him. 
Elisha finally gives in. He says, all right, go. They went for three days. They couldn't find him anywhere. And Elisha's basically saying, I told you all along, God's taken him. He's not on earth. You're not going to find him. And so they figure this out. Now, in chapter, if you will continue on chapter six, or I'm sorry, chapter five, verse four, I want you to see this with Elisha's life. Chapter five, verse four. He's into his ministry. And it says this is about Naaman who had leprosy. And in verse four, and one went in and told his Lord, saying, thus and thus said the maid that is in the that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, go to go and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and looked with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, now, when this letter is come unto you, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman, my servant, to you, that thou may recover him of his leprosy. Now, this was sent to the king. And it came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter that he rent his clothes and said, am I God to kill and to make alive that this man doeth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, now this is so wonderful, listen to this. Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. What boldness. What absolute boldness. What confidence to be able to say something like that. All right. Now just continue. Let's move to the next one in chapter 6. Verse 2. Sons of the prophets are desiring to build themselves a bigger school. And so in verse 2. Let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan. And take thence every man a beam. And let us make a place there where we may dwell. And he answered, go ye. And one said, be content, I pray, and go with your servants. And he answered, I'll go. So he went with them. And when they came to Jordan, they cut down wood. And as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water. And he cried and he said, alas, master, for it was borrowed. And the man of God said, where fell it? And he showed him the place and he cut down a stick and cast it in thither. And the iron did swim. Therefore said he, take it up to thee. And he put out his hand and he took it up. And then if you would notice in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Then I'm just going to talk to you for a minute about some of these aspects of ministry and going up higher. That I think is important. And a word for God, from God for us. Paul says in verse 16 that he doesn't cease to give thanks for them. Making mention of them in his prayers. And this is his prayer. Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. Not only in this world but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Which is his body the fullness of him that filleth all in all. There is a desire here in the Apostle Paul for Christians to recognize the call of God upon their life. To recognize the anointing of God's spirit that is available to God's people. The same power. Now now just really get this. Like if this was the first time you've ever heard this in your life. Listen to what I'm going to say. Because we've, we've heard it and heard it and heard it and heard it. That just the impact that it ought to have on us. Sometimes it's lost. The power That raised Jesus Christ from the dead. God has offered to every one of his children. Now think about that. The power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. 
The power by which Jesus ascended up into heaven is the same power that God offers to every one of his children. Wants us to receive. The Apostle Paul's praying here in Ephesians chapter 1 that the believers there would understand it. That they would understand the inheritance of God that's in their life. That their eyes would be opened. And they would know the hope of his calling. And the riches of his inheritance in our life. All of these aspects. This is what I want us to see. This whole life that we have in Jesus Christ is to be a progression. It's always developing. Because it's a life. It's not something that we've done. It's not a religion. It's not the religion of Christianity. It is a relationship with Jesus Christ. We meet Him. We love Him. We desire Him. We hunger for Him. We're passionate about Him. We can't believe it took us so long to become a Christian. And all of these things that we've had, we've now met Jesus Christ. We're growing up. We're maturing. He's filling us with His Spirit. He's anointing us. He wants us to grow closer and closer and closer to Him. And He never wants us to put the brakes on. He wants us to grow. He wants us to mature. And all of the growth and all of the maturity that He wants us to experience, all the things He's saying, just let go of that. Let me have that. Don't pursue that. Give that up. And all of our arguments about, I don't know if I can, all of these things is, if we would do it, we would come to a point in our life, and I don't believe very long, God, why did I hold on to that so long? This is wonderful. This is absolutely wonderful. And that's the progression that we have in Jesus Christ. Elisha had a call on his life. I don't know when that call came to him personally. Because I'm talking about a call from God. He's plowing. He's a farmer. There's communication between him and the Lord. And there is hunger and passion in this man. That's one of the things about moving up higher. Going on with the Lord. You must hear God speak to you. A man can't make you move on. A man can't make you progress. A church can't progress you. A ministry can't progress you. Men can open doors for you and you can fall flat on your face. You can become absolutely embarrassed because men promoted you, but God didn't promote you. Promotion comes from God. You don't need politics. You don't need men. You don't need position. You don't need powerful people saying, hey, this is the person. This is great. They're the next Billy Graham of the world. That's just a bunch of bogus stuff. All of that. All God needs is a hungry heart that will listen to Him. And when men listen to God and walk with God, they will walk where God walks. They'll go where God goes. They'll go to everyone God sends them. God, as we saw last week, talked to a little boy named Jeremiah and said to him, when you were in your mother's womb, I was creating and fashioning and forming you. I will send you to King. You don't have to be royalty because I'm opening the doors for you. God must speak. The call comes from God. If a call came from a man, then another man can come give you another call. If you've been convinced to do what you're doing for Jesus Christ... Because of some man or the manipulation of some type of ministry or anything like that. Then another ministry can come along and manipulate you into something else. Another minister, another man can come along and convince you to be committed to them. One man will come along and think, I think you ought to be committed to my cause. You listen to his reasonings and you think they're very intelligent. So I want to be involved in in your ministry. Then another minister comes along. He talks to you about what he's doing. And you think, my God, that is an awesome ministry. That's something that I've got to be a part of. You want to get involved in that ministry too. Another one comes along. You want to get involved in that ministry. Men constantly compel us. The call must come from God because there is no other God. And when this God gives a call, nothing else can influence you to something else. That call becomes your life for life. It becomes you. It becomes what you are. Now, we have to fill up the place that we're in. If God's going to move us any further, we have to fill up the place that we're presently in. The progression of joy. The progression of intimacy. The the progression of everything with God. The knowledge of God. Everything is a life of growth and progression. As Elisha, we have to be able to see how God is working in my life and how everything that is going on in my life is working for these purposes and calls that are upon my life. That is very important. 
You do not realize how many times you're going to have to look back on your life and see how God did this in me. How God spoke to me right here. How God matured me right here. How God brought me through that adversity here. How God beat Satan for me right here. And all of that was so you could stand up for God right here today and be victorious. But you have to see how it's all related. If you can't see how it's related, you're going to be schizophrenic when you stand up with your next trial. You're going to think you're going to be defeated. You're going to be destroyed. God's brought me this far to kill me. Oh, God, I'll never make it past this. I've been guilty of saying those things. I've felt that way. I've experienced problems in my life. Not, sometimes not much more than a hangnail. And I thought, God, this is the end of my life. This is over for me. You know, and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit would remind me of all of the years of his faithfulness to my life. And I can recount those things and lean upon the faithfulness of God in my life. Is that not what David did? When David stood before Saul and Goliath standing in that valley, challenging God, challenging the armies of Israel, what was the reasoning of David? He stood before Saul and said, there was a reason I fought the bear. There was a reason I fought the lion. Because the God who delivered me from the bear and the lion did all of that for this day that he'll deliver that giant into my hands. Everything was for this. Everything. You've got to understand, when you walk with God, everything is for a purpose. Everything from yesterday is for today, and everything today is for tomorrow. There's no defeat. There's no overcoming as far as we being overcome in the mind of God, but victory. The same God who raised Jesus up, raises us up in the same power. So that we walk in his victory. But we've got to see how it relates. We've got to see where we've come from. So that we can understand where we are. Because we humans forget. Oh, we forget so easily. We forget how we were kicking and screaming about this little thing. We forget about that. We forget about how we were kicking and screaming and saying, Oh God, I'll never teach a Sunday school class. I could never do that. Oh God, that is just not me. That is not my nature. I can't believe this thought's even in my mind to teach a Sunday school class. God, I'll never, never do that. And we're kicking and screaming. And to make a long story short, what happens? God wins. All right. Now you're teaching the Sunday school class. You know, it's like, oh, man, this is awesome. You know, I never thought I could do it. Look what God is doing through my life. Hey, pastor, I want to go preach somewhere. You know, I mean, now, now you're just wanting to go more and go more and go more. And God says, well, it's not preaching that I want you to do. Now, this is what I want you to do. And right here, we're kicking and screaming again, just kicking and screaming and crying and telling God no. And then God wins. All right. God wins and we end up doing what God wants us to do. And now it's just so wonderful. And that's the whole progression of our life. How much easier. Thank God for David who stood there watching this giant facing the king of Israel. Everyone else in Israel is a coward. That's intimidating enough because this is a boy. And he's seeing this giant. Thank God David didn't have to kick and scream and cry and pout and all of these things. He was able to look back on his life. The same God that delivered me from the bear, delivered me from the lions, taught these hands how to war and bend a bow of iron. He's going to beat that giant in his holy name. And and, and no kick, because there wasn't time for that. Somebody had to do it. And David did it. You've got to see. You've got to see how your life is a relationship with God. And how it is a life of progression. You have to fill up where you are. If you expect God to ever say to you, come up higher. If you want God to call you up higher. Call you to greater things. A greater anointing. A greater responsibility. Then you've got to be responsible with the original thing that he's asked you to do. You have to be responsible of that. Elisha went higher than the prophets because of this very thing. Why didn't God select one of these prophets from the school of prophets? That's a legitimate question. These are men that are separated, studying, believe in God, want to be used by God. They're holy men. But God didn't select any of them to be the servant of the prophet Elijah. Why didn't he do that? I believe one of the reasons is the simplicity of life. It's just the simplicity of life. I don't believe that God wants to invest his time 
and his anointing in people who are lazy. He won't do it. Now, we have to define laziness in a biblical way. Laziness is not a person that's active. Laziness is a person that does what they want to do when they want to do it. It's a life of convenience, but they can be very busy. A person that's not lazy is a person that will be committed to what God wants them to do if it's not convenient and it's not easy and it's not fun, but they're going to be committed to it to the very end. That's a diligent person. That's a diligent person. It's not easy to get up for prayer at 6 in the morning. It's not easy to be at Bible study at 6 in the morning. It's not easy to be at this thing. Not easy to be at that thing. But I believe God wants me there, so I'm going to be there. And we fill it up. And when we fill it up, then God brings us into greater things. Some Christians never advance because they never fill that place up. They stay busy in that place. Active in that place. Even have great things that happen. But they don't fill it up. I'm talking about filling it up. All right? With faithfulness. The first place that we see Elisha, he's out working on his farm. He's not working as a lazy man. He's got 12 yoke of oxen out there. He's got a field to plow. He's called as many people as he can to come help him work with it. 12 yoke of oxen is a pretty good thing going on in those days. And they're moving it. And they're cutting up the ground. And they're getting it all ready. This is a farmer. He's working. He's doing what he was given to do. The Bible says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might. That's what Elisha's doing. He's doing it with all of his might. Now, how many people would have been plowing something like that and thinking the whole time, I've got to get out of this. If I could just get to that school of prophets, if I could just get there. I mean, just think that's the next step. That's where I've got to get. I've got to get into that school. I've got to know those people. I've got to be in relationship because those are the movers and shakers of the world right now. But that wasn't Elisha's mind at all. This is what God gave me to do. I'm going to do it with all of my might. I'm going to be diligent with it. I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. And God's going to call me out of this. That's the pattern that God has used so often in his word. I want you to listen to this. And I do pray that it's an encouragement for you. Elisha was plowing when he called. Few people have been called from the classrooms. They have been called from the fishing boats. From the fig trees like Amos, from the sheepfolds like David, and from the tax booths like Matthew. They've been called from the common jobs of life because they put everything into it. We as men have this, have this ingenuity or this manipulation that this is what happens. And that, no, we just have to do what God has given us to do with all of our money. If it's building houses, build the best house you can build. If it's a mechanic, be the best mechanic that you can be. If you're a salesman, be the best salesman you can be. Do it with all of your might. The whole time, like Elijah, God, my day is coming. My day is coming. You're going to call me out of this, God. You're going to do something through me, God. I don't know how, I don't know when, don't know where. I just know it in my heart, God. You would never put this burden in me if you did not intend to fulfill it. And God will come and fulfill it. He'll tell you the next step. The next step for Elisha was pouring water on Elijah's hands. Doesn't look like much. But it looked like a lot to Elisha. This is a wonderful opportunity. It's the next step. And he begins to take it. I want to say this. I'll tell you what. Turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And I just want you to read this with me. Because I want you to see it in Scripture. I think it's a passage that's extremely encouraging. It says in... 1 Corinthians 1, verse 25, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. doesn't say there aren't any, just not many. It's hard to humble those kinds of people, right? Those are people that are hard to humble. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yes, and the things which are not to bring to naught the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. 
That's who God wants to use. God wants to use people who glory in the Lord. And sometimes it's hard for a person who is extremely confident in their self-ability or confident in their intelligence or confident in their wealth to humble them to a point where when something happens, they give God the glory for it. Because man will take that glory. So God takes weak things and base things. He takes the people who are kicking and screaming and saying that I can't. God, that's exactly why I want you. That's exactly why I want you. You know, and you've heard that saying where people say, I'll never go there. God, I'll I'll do anything you want, but I won't do that. Guess what you're going to do? You're going to do that. I guarantee you're going to do that. It is going to happen. You better be careful what you tell God you won't do. My daughter said, I'll never marry a poor man. Oh, no, she said, I'll never marry a rich man. You know, (laughs) so she could have a rich man. We must, I want to say this, not only filling the place up that we're in, we must exhaust ourselves in the place that we're in. And I don't want to, I don't want to say this in the sense where it's just, you know, oh gosh, I'm just wiped out. I'm just so tired. I'm talking about that we have, we have unloaded everything we've got in that place. Everything we've got. And it just, it still relates to this. But I mean this in this in this sense and in this understanding that whenever we got saved and God brought us into a place of ministry and we recognized that and we were really scared of it. But we're there now. And then we fill that place up. The next thing God's going to call us to is a place where we know that in order for me to do that, it is going to take an act of God. You know that. It's going to take an act of God. I cannot, even with everything that I've experienced and everything that you have made me, I cannot do that. God, it is going to take an anointing on my life. It is going to take you, God, empowering me to do what you're asking me to do. And you've exhausted yourself in this place. You have unloaded everything you've got in the labor that you are doing. And so something must change in Elisha. If he is to do more, something must change. Let me let me let me explain it to you this way. Though Elisha um, was not in the type of career that a lot of people were just, you know, filling out applications to get because nobody really was. I don't I don't remember anybody coming to Elijah and saying, hey, you need somebody to travel with you. So there's not a lot of people wanting to do this. And when Elisha becomes the servant, it it doesn't really look like this is some great thing. But Elisha does it with all of his might. Just like he did the oxen, he does it with all of his might. He's with Elijah everywhere he goes. He's pouring water on his hand. You know what's so wonderful? In all of that time, how many times did Elisha gripe and complain about what he had to do? We don't have one record of it. In all of that period of time in Elisha's life, while he was attending to Elijah, he didn't do anything that we would consider great. But he did everything he was supposed to do. Please get that. He didn't do anything we would consider great. But he did everything he was supposed to do. And in one day... In one moment, he goes from being a servant who had never done anything great to becoming an anointed prophet of God who doubled the miracles that Elijah did in his life. Because those miracles were not the desire of his heart. Those weren't the things that excited him. Those weren't the things that motivated him. And I pray it's not the things that excite and motivate you. Miracles are necessary. They are essential. They are needful. All right. But they follow those who believe the motivation and the passion and the desire. And I, I, I can just see it all through Elisha's ministry. As you study it, you see it that the only thing Elisha wanted is this. There's a school of prophets over there that don't know the power of God. They see what God is doing through a man. And what is going to happen when this man's gone? And God, when this man is gone, it is necessary that there is somebody in this land that still is a witness for you. 
so that everybody will know that it's not Elijah. It was the God of Elijah who was so awesome. And that's why he cried at that river Jordan. Where is the God of Elijah? Because Elijah wasn't the answer. God was the answer. And he desired for Israel to know God. If that's your desire, God will do great things through your life. If your desire is for miracles and impressive things and these showy things, I'm not going to say they won't happen through your life, but you better be careful because they have the potential to corrupt you. The potential. But if Jesus and his glory is your passion and your desire, God will do great things through your life. And some of these things you'll never even know about. You'll never even know because it's all for the Lord and it happened after you were gone because it followed you. And you were out of there and then people were starting to be healed and people were starting to be saved and people were starting to be delivered and you weren't there. But it was the result of that ministry and anointing upon your life that opened that up. But you don't even know about it. You don't even know about it. Sometimes you do. But a lot of times you don't. Even the things that have happened. Stay here, Elisha. Stay here in Gilgal. Stay here in Jericho. Stay here with the school of prophets. Stay here, Elisha. And then the prophets come up to him and they said, hey. Hey, water boy, do you know that God's going to take your master from you today? We're prophets. We know these things. Did you, did you know that? I knew it. Be quiet. I knew that. And then Elijah says, why don't you stay here, Elisha? And he wouldn't do it. Because he knew there was a still a call on his life to be a prophet. And for him to become that prophet, then that spirit that God had anointed Elijah with must anoint him. The spirit of the Lord. And the conditions given. And Elijah, Elisha meets the condition. He's anointed with the spirit of God. He exhausted himself. What makes you think you can take the next step? What makes you think you can? You know what made Elisha think that he could? Because he believed that God could empower him. What makes you think you can? Can you be discouraged? Can you be shaken? Can you be distracted? Can you be confused? Can you be overcome with fear? Can you be knocked out? Can you faint? Can you become weary? Because if you can, you will. But do you believe in the power of God to come upon you and anoint you to do in you what he has given in your heart to do? And know without any doubt whatsoever, it is going to happen. Because God has shown me. I've seen something. I've seen something. And it possesses you because of what God has shown you. The last thing that I want to say in regards to this is. You must yield yourself to whatever it takes to become the embodiment of your message. You yield yourself to whatever it takes to become the embodiment of your message. Now, listen to me carefully. This is important. If you did a study on Elijah and Elisha traveling, he says, stay in Gilgal, stay in Jericho, um, stay here with the prophets. And Elijah is going across the river Jordan. And Elisha says, no, I'm not leaving your side. What is it that you want? I want a double portion of your spirit. You're leaving. God must still be in this land. I want a double portion of your spirit. And he tells him what has to happen. I, 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 when, you, when you look at these places, you begin to see. in all these little periods that they pass through. And Elijah saying, stay here, stay here. We see that he is dying. He's dying to material blessings. Jericho was the promised land. It's the land of promise, the land of blessings, the land of milk and honey. It represents that. He died to that. I'm not staying in Jericho. They move on. They come to the place of the prophets. He dies to fame. He dies to position. He dies to recognition. Stay here with the prophets. You've been my servant. They'll make you a professor. You, you could eventually become somebody very great here in this school. No, I don't want any of that. I'm dying to popularity. I'm dying to fame. I'm dying to recognition. I'm dying to professionalism. I don't want any of that. He follows them. They come to the River Jordan. And the River Jordan represents death. Descending. Death. And he dies. Elisha in that symbolic thing dies. He has yielded himself. 
in all of these steps in his life, Elisha has to everything that was required to make him the embodiment of his message. I want to read this last scripture that proves this. In 2 Kings chapter 4. This is so interesting. Verse 1. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha. So here is the wife of a prophet. One of the students. This is their wife. He dies. She's in trouble because the creditors are coming to take her sons. Who does she cry to? She's in a school with some of the greatest men in Israel. She's in the school with some of the greatest teachers in the land. She's in a school with holy men. She's in a school with godly men. She's in a school with men who believe in God. She's in a school who, with men who can teach about God. But when adversity and trouble hits her life, who does she run to? I don't need somebody that can just tell me something. I need somebody that has the power to do something. I need power. I need life. I need a miracle. I need help. And so she runs to Elisha and she cries to him. Because she knows that this is not a man with simply a message. This is a man who has become something in God and God lives with this man and walks with this man and talks with this man. And God is able to produce through him the things that are needed in our lives. She ran to him. Many of you have experienced those types of things in life. You can be chastised by people at work who are not Christians. And they can make fun of you all that they want. And then their life hits an absolute critical time in their life. And they're going to come to you because you're the Christian. And you may be the only Christian they know. And they're going to ask you to pray for them. Why? Because I don't need somebody to just pat me on the back. I need somebody that can touch God for me. I've got to have somebody that can touch God. That can believe God. That can receive from God things in my life that I need right now. And that is the wonderful thing about Elisha's life. He embodied his message. He wasn't just a prophet with a word to give. He was a life that was being lived. He was so alive in God that when he was dead, they threw a dead man into his grave. And when the dead man hit his bones, the dead man came back to life. There was so much life, so much power in Elisha because of his life and his walk with God. And this is the life of ministry. It's the life of ascendancy. It is the life of power, the life of progression, the life of joy, love, intimacy, everything. Growing in Jesus Christ. Filling up the places, being faithful in the responsibilities that he gives me. Being faithful in that. If I'm an usher, I'm going to be the best usher. I'm going to be on time. I'm going to be there for it. If I'm a Sunday school teacher, I'm going to be there on time. If I'm in the choir, I'm going to be there on time. I'm going to be there in the prayer meeting. I'm going to pray before the services start. Because we need the anointing of God to come upon us. And it's more than singing in a choir. And it's more than preaching in a pulpit. The United States of America must know God. And there has to be somebody who embodies the message. Somebody who has a living testimony of the living God and can touch God. And that's what God desires to produce in our life. Not to just say, I was studying and I got a message, but I've been walking with God and He spoke to me. And there's something that He wants to say. And God produces it with power. It's moving on. It's stepping up. It's advancing. And it's progressing. But it doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen because somebody says, I want to be closer to Jesus. It doesn't just happen because somebody says, I want God to use me. If you want God to use you, do everything He's told you to do right now. Do it with all of your might. Cry in your heart for God to bring you further. And one day He'll come. And He'll bring you into something else. And He'll bring you into something else. It'll be the most awesome experience of your life. That axe head that that man was working with and the axe head falls off and it falls into the river and he cries out it was borrowed. I mean, you know, sometimes we might think that's a little bit dramatic. I mean, it's just an axe head. Let's go get another one. They didn't have Home Depots then. It was probably very difficult to go get a piece of iron that was sharpened. I mean, these were people's livelihoods. It was a difficult thing. He borrowed it from somebody. But that represents something. It represents something absolutely tremendous. And it represents this. It represents that you can't live your life borrowing from somebody else. Because you're going to lose it. And when you lose it, you're going to realize that you are left with nothing. It is a horrible thing for a person to have to face their enemies like Samson. And just assume God is going to be there for me. 
And wake yourself up maybe like Samson did and realize maybe God is not here and the power of the anointing is gone from my life. How much wonderful to live like Elisha and have a personal experience with Jesus Christ where you're walking with him and he's talking to you. And, and I don't mean it's perfect. I don't mean any of us get this perfect, but we walk with him and our hearts love him. And we maintain that passion with God. And I'm not talking about salvation or anything like that. I'm just talking about ministry. I'm talking about ministering in the power of God. And that man's working with that axe head and it falls into the river. If you live by a borrowed sermon, you live by somebody's borrowed antidote, you live by somebody's borrowed preaching, you live by somebody else's experiences, you're living a life you never lived and a life you heard about. And Elisha knew it, and that's what this represents. If God doesn't come upon me, and if God doesn't speak through me or somebody else in Israel, then they're going to make a monument to Elijah, and they're going to be a statues to Elijah as some great man. And oh God, we don't need a dead testimony. We need a living God in Israel. And God anoint me with the Holy Ghost and let them know that you're the living God. This is history. How many times does God move and you see a great move of God. A move of God that is sweeping. Revivals awakenings. We've heard about them. And all of a sudden you see that those things tend to die off. It's a unique story between Elijah and Elisha. Because what seems to happen is sometimes when a great move of God comes and it's sweeping and it's moving and it's building and all of these things, it seems to possibly die out with those people, those people that brought it, those people that it seems to die out with them because the next generation possibly didn't have the passion and the hunger to see God anoint them with that same spirit of God and cry out for it and long for it and believe God that he will do it in our lives as well. I don't believe God ever intended for a period of revival to ever end. I don't think he ever intended for an awakening to end. Somewhere along the lines, the Christian generation that came after did not have the heart to receive or the diligence to pray for that anointing to come upon them. But when a generation does and a people does, God moves and God pours out and God comes. But how wonderful it is. How wonderful it is. We see God moving in our church. We see God doing great things. We see miracles. We see the power of God. The advancement of God. It is an incredible thing that we see. And God's producing this through our life. And God's moving through our life. And we've got people. I know. I know this. That I know my God. I see God. I walk with God. I hear God. I touch God. He touches me. This is real. This is power. This is life. And I'm walking with God. And I desire with all of my heart. That my sons and my daughter and the sons and daughters of this church, God, anoint us with the Holy Ghost that is upon those people, God. Lord, when Pastor Lee and Pastor Randy are dead and gone, then God, you've got to anoint us to carry on this work, God. This living God in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. A living God in the United States of America. People that will declare this and walk with you and know this. That passion has to be there or it dies with us. The passion has to be there. It dies with us. And so ministry is, is a life of progression and a life of advancement. And you yield yourself to everything that is going to produce that reality in your life. Everything is an opportunity to know Jesus. Everything. Adversity, peril, persecution, hardships and heartache. I know I've gone long, but I'm almost through. All these things are an opportunity to know Jesus. Everything. I close with this last story. Jeff was with me. James was with me. We're in the Dominican Republic. There's about 20, 25,000 people in the square. We've got politicians and dignitaries that are all with us. And we're sitting there in that square. And I'm the last one to preach. And everybody is, is, is in this place. And it's an incredible time. And all of the pastors and dignitaries and governors and all these people are sitting roped off uh, with, with policemen and securities roping us off and sitting us in the back. And there's there's many hundreds of us, maybe a thousand or so that are back there. And we're all sitting back there and I'm sitting back here and we've been walking around through the crowds, but we're just sitting back and I'm sitting here and Jeff's sitting by me and and it's just not long. We don't know when we're going to go up to preach. And all of a sudden I notice off to my left a man bringing an incredibly deformed and retarded baby in his arms. And I just see this how he's walking down the thing and he's coming through. And I'm watching this and, and, and you can't help but look because it's a horrific sight. Now, I don't know how old the baby is. It could be eight, nine years old, maybe ten. And so they're going through it and I'm watching and I'm just thinking about my message and I'm praying. 
And I'm just saying any minute I've got to go up there and preach. And I'm preaching about how great God is, how powerful God is. And I'm watching these people and I'm watching as pastors are pulling out their pesos and their money and they're ministering and they're giving this to this man because obviously he's in need and he probably takes everything he's got to take care of his his baby and himself. And he's coming through the lines and I've I've got my hand in my pocket reaching for some money. And I'm telling you, as real as anything ever spoke to me. The Holy Ghost said, is that what you believe? Is that your message? Is that your ministry? And I'm going to tell you, I was smitten. I was smitten. And the man's just passing through because he's not supposed to be back there. So he's just moving all the way through. And he, he passes by me. And I get up and I tell Jeff, here, take my stuff. I can't preach like this. And I just go off into the crowd and I try to find him. And I'm at 15, 25,000 people out there and I can't find him anywhere. And I'm just trying to find him. I said, because the whole time I'm saying inside of my spirit, no, this is not what I believe. And I'm going to tell you, this is what some people believe. It's what some churches believe. It's what some ministries believe. Humanitarian help. You've got a need here. Let's give you a few dollars and help you out with it. And that's good. And that's loving. All right. And the church looks so wonderful. Because what grace, what compassion to do that. And I don't knock that a bit because it's a, it's a necessary thing. And so, but, but that's not my message. That's not my ministry. That's not what I'm believing God for. I believe in God to heal. I believe in God to restore. I believe in God to raise. That's what I believe. That's what I preach. That's what I'm fixing to preach. So everything here is an opportunity to be yielded to that which conforms me to this message. And I can't preach it. Because I'm a hypocrite. And I would be a liar. And so I give him my stuff and I say, I'm not, I, I can't do this. And I run off into the crowd and I try to find this man. I can't find him anywhere. And I come back with my head hanging. And I'm down. I'm dejected. And you've got 25,000 people that are waiting for you at any moment to get up there and talk to them. And I can't do it. And I start repenting and I ask the Lord to forgive me. And he graciously does. He did something for me. I couldn't have done it for myself. He did something for me. And he gave me something that I didn't have at that moment. And I told the Lord, I said, I don't ever want to just do something. I want to be something. I want to believe this, God. I want this message to be my life. And the Lord just told me, if it is to be your life, I've got to teach you things like this. It's got to be real. It's got to be real. And we preached and the Lord blessed it. And I'm calling people to come forward. And I don't speak Spanish. But there's communications between the police and the pastors. There's there's governors. There's mayors. There's politicians. No. The people can't come up there. And I'm like telling the police. Let them through. You know. Because <laughs> they're barricading it. And finally they let them through. One of the first people up is that man carrying that baby. And I, I couldn't get down from that platform fast enough. Because this is what I believe. And I ran down there. Another pastor from another angle had beat me to him. But we get on this boy and we lay our hands on that baby. And we're praying, dear God, heal this young baby. Touch this baby. Restore this baby. God, there's no hope in the Dominican Republic for his recovery. God, do a miracle. And we prayed nothing happened. Nothing Went to the next person, started praying. Looked like a 70-year-old man. Just prayed quickly over him. Oh, God, whatever his needs are, because I don't speak Spanish, touch him, Lord. Minister to his needs and heal him. In Jesus' name, going over next. And all of a sudden, this man starts screaming. And he's jumping up and down. He runs up on the stage. He's all the way up there. And so after everything's over, we go up there. And we find out, because he's about, he's, he's about to give his testimony, he was born blind. And God gave him his sight. Everybody knew him. Everybody knew him. I didn't know him. I didn't know what was wrong with him. It wasn't me that did it. There were many people praying. Many people praying. 
But God gave him his sight. And God got, received a testimony of glory. But the thing that affected me the most was this man carrying the baby spoke to me through the interpreter that I had. He said, you'll never know the hope and the, and, and the faith that you've given me today in God. And I said, I don't understand. I said, your baby's not healed. He said, sometimes there's something that's better than a physical healing. He said, I've never had a church or a pastor pray over my baby. And all my life, it just told me that there's nobody that believes God can really do it. Until today. And I met some people who believe that God can do it. Oh, I tell you. If you really want to be a minister of God. Let God yield to whatever it takes to be the embodiment of your message. Let it be real. You won't be perfect. And I'm going to tell you, you'll be crushed in order to become that. You'll be crushed because you'll have to die. You'll have to go through Jordan. You'll have to go through it. You'll have to die to fame. You'll have to die to physical pleasures. But I'll tell you something, the reward and the joy. When you do it, I guarantee you, you're going to just be screaming, why did I take so long? This is so ridiculous of me to fight so long to enjoy this. Stand with me. I know it was long this, tonight. But please listen. Please move forward. Please let God bring us into everything that he has. The joy, the intimacy with Jesus. The life with Jesus. You know, it's, it's, it's not hard for anybody to get a message or to get a teaching. But to, to be that message is a work of God. The power of God, the anointing of God. Elisha said to Elijah, I want a double portion of your spirit. God has offered us the same, the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. May we receive in the name of Jesus Christ.